These are the words of God through the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus and just as much to you and I. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. <clears throat> Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, but don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words, their depth, and how perfectly they apply to our life. As our worship to you today, may our hearts and our spirits be open to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today we continue in our series in Ephesians entitled Ephesians, Our Identity and Purpose. Ephesians, Our Identity and Purpose. And today's message is entitled A New Day. A New Day. <clears throat> Yesterday, we had a memorial service for families of those who died during the pandemic of COVID or COVID-related illnesses. Some of you perhaps thought that might be a, a, a bit odd that we would have one general memorial service, but I did it for a couple of reasons. And I mentioned this to you uh, in part last Sunday during the announcements. The truth is because so many who died of COVID died alone in a hospital bed or in a nursing home, their families were not allowed to be here or, or be there. They didn't get to grieve with them and they didn't get to say their final words to them. Also, there were many, because of the travel restrictions, that were not able to go to the funerals or the memorial services of their loved ones. I had people come to me yesterday after the service was over and share with me that they couldn't be there for their loved ones. And they needed that kind of closure. We need to be able to grieve. Even God's people. There are times when God the Father grieved. You know, when Jesus was on, on the cross, Christ, uh, God the Father was grieving for his son. You know, there were times when Christ himself grieved at the funeral of Lazarus and other times as well. In fact, he cried. And so we need to be able to grieve with our loved ones in God's kingdom. But that's not the only reason. And that was enough, but that was not the only reason. I felt that those who had lost loved ones due to COVID needed closure, but I also recognized that we all need closure. I did it for that reason. Concerning the pandemic, I think our world needs closure. We need closure this morning at First Baptist Church in Azle. Again, this morning, I looked at the COVID numbers for Texas and they are remarkably low. They have continued to plummet to a very small number each day. And COVID, like most illnesses, will continue to be around, but not as a pandemic. With it mostly behind us, I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of hearing about it. God has a purpose and plan for us here at First Baptist Church and in this world, 
And it doesn't start January 1st of next year. It's here, today, now. For, for that reason, it is time for us to move on. So after this moment, I intend to never use the word COVID or pandemic ever again. It's a new day. In today's message, in chapter 4, Paul actually gives us instructions on how to move on to a new day. And he does say that there are some things that we need to say goodbye to in our life and move on to a new day. Now, I know if you've been struggling with that, with COVID or whatever it is, you lost a loved one for whatever reason in the last few years, God wants you to be able to move on. I shared with them yesterday, that doesn't mean you forget your loved one. You continue to remember them and celebrate them. But they would want you and God wants you to move forward with your life. And in this world, that is what we are to do as well in God's kingdom. So Paul tells us how to start a new day today. He shares with us and tells us to take off the old self and put on the new self. But instead of clothing, he's suggesting that we take the old you and replace it with the new you after coming to faith in Christ. God gives us a new a new identity in Christ. We are a new creature, the Bible says, a new creation in Christ. The question is, how do you do that? How do you take off the old self and put on the new self? And actually, what he says in the passage today, I don't know if you noticed this back up in 23, he says to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self. Now he just says as to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted and made new in the attitude of your minds. And now he says, now that you've been made new, you need to do something. You're new, but you need to put on the new self. Even though you've been made new, you need to put on the new self and let go of the old self. And so that's what I really want to talk to you about. How do we do that? Paul tells us exactly how we do that, how we can do that. What items in your mind, in your character, do you need to exchange for this new day to be a new day? Tells us in the rest of the chapter, and it might surprise you, of all the things that Paul could talk about, about getting rid of the old and embracing the new, his list is fascinating to me. Now, we're not going to look at all of it today. In a couple of weeks, we may look at it a little bit more, so I'm just going to deal with some of them today. But we're going to look at the list in verse 25, particularly through verse 28. First, in verse 25, Paul tells us to tell the truth. That's the first thing he wants to share with us. Tell the truth. Verse 25 says this, Therefore each of you must put off what? Falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Now you may be thinking, oh, those Ephesians, apparently they were a bunch of liars. Thank goodness we're not that way. Do you have a problem telling the truth? If you do uh, have a problem telling the truth, then you probably answered that question incorrectly in your mind. Because we lie to ourselves more often even than we lie to others. I noticed that. When I, you know, I like to go through this Biggest Loser diet that we have. It's a little competition. And I am a man, so I like to compete you know, diets aren't that much fun in and of themselves. But if it's a competition, it's a little more fun. And I find myself lying to myself all the time. Oh, this is my cheat day. Or I'll just have a bite. 
<laughs> you know, just lie, lie, lie. We lie to ourselves, but we lie to others as well. Paul knew that. He understood that. In the book entitled The Day America Told the Truth by James Patterson, the author reports the following survey results. 91% of Americans lie routinely about matters they consider trivial. 91%. That means we have some liars here today. <laughs> More than one. I would say about 91% of us. One out of three lie about important matters. According to the survey, 86% lie on a regular basis to their parents. And the other 14% probably lied on the survey 75% lie to their friends. Seven out of 10 married people lie to their spouses. And again, I would argue probably higher. 70% of liars claim that they would tell their lies again. That is, not only do we lie, we don't really regret it. If we could go back and do it all again, we'd do more lying. 70%. Americans tell an average of 11, 11 lies per week. In fact, Lying is part of our culture, is it not? Everywhere we go, we can't get a call or look at the news or watch an advertisement or even have a conversation without there being lying. The check is in the mail. I'll start my diet tomorrow. We service what we sell. Give us your number and we'll call you right back in the order it was received. We're concerned about your car warranty. One size fits all. This offer is limited to the first hundred people who call in. Your luggage isn't lost, it's only misplaced. Leave your resume and we'll keep it on file. This hurts me more than it's gonna hurt you. That was my dad's favorite. I just need five minutes of your time. Your table will be ready in a few minutes. Open wide, it won't hurt a bit. Let's have lunch sometime. We lie all the time. Last week, Chris, uh, Chris preached about children and their relationship to their parents. Listen to me, parents. If you can successfully teach and train your children to be honest people, and it is up to you. If your children have a problem lying all the time, it may be because they were watching you and me, their parents. If you can train your children to be honest with themselves and honest with others, their lives will be far more exemplary than most on that one issue alone. So the first thing he tells us to do is simply stop lying. Tell the truth. The second thing he tells us is to watch the temper. Watch the temper. Look in verse 26. He says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He makes three statements there and says three things about anger very clearly. Don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That is, deal with it quickly and do not give the devil a foothold. How do you express your anger appropriately? Well, God gives us an answer. In the second half of the verse, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. That means when you wake up tomorrow, it's what? A new day. And if you hold on to your anger, it is not a new day. 
It's the same old day. Now, there are things that you can get angry about that's okay and some things that's not okay to be angry about. I'm not going to argue that with you. Only you and your God know whether or not your anger is righteous or not. I've learned that my anger is always righteous and your anger is petty. <laughs> that's how we think. But whatever your anger, God does clearly tell us when you wake up tomorrow, it's a new day. Don't let the sun set on your anger. When, when the sun goes down, your anger should go down. Don't go to bed angry. Now, here's why he tells us this. I guarantee you. God designed you, and he knows spiritually and emotionally what you and I can handle and what we can't handle. And he did not design your heart, your mind, your life to deal with last year's anger, last month's anger, last week's anger, or even yesterday's anger. You understand when you go to bed tonight, if you're angry about something today and you don't let it go, tomorrow you have tomorrow's anger and today's anger. That's twice as much anger. And if you let it continue to stack up and stack up and stack up, you're just gonna be an angry person all the time. God didn't make you that way. You can't do that. Emotionally, you're not designed that way. And as a result, it will destroy every relationship that you have. How do you express your anger appropriately? In 320 BC, 300 years before the birth of Christ, the Greek philosopher Aristotle stated this. He said, anybody can become angry. That is easy. However, to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, that requires wisdom. Presently, wisdom seems to be in short supply throughout our world. Anger is growing in terms of frequency, hostility, intensity, and duration. Now, there are two bad types of anger I want to mention to you, and this is not a seminar on anger, just very quickly. <clears throat> There's bottled up anger and spewed out anger. And you may be one of those two when you deal with your anger, the bottler or the spewer. The bottler just bottles it all up. I told you we emotionally, we can't do it day after day. And so you just pack it in, pack it in, pack it in, pack it in. And then one day somebody just says one word <laughs> that sets you off. And you may not be that way. You may be a spewer. It just spews out of you all the time. You know, the type. People dread coming around you because they know as soon as they see you, they're going to get it. They're going to hear it. You may not be angry at them. You'll be angry at somebody else or something else. There's always plenty of things in this world to make us mad all the time. And that's what Satan wants you, for you. That is the old life. That is the old outfit to be angry all the time. So you may be a bottler. You may be a spewer. In the, spring of, in the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Oreos came to Boston to play a routine ball game, baseball game, and it became one of the most famous games in history, the spring of 1894. What happened that day was anything but routine. The Oreos, John McGraw, got into, the fight, into a fight with, Boston third, with the Boston third baseman. These two guys got into a fight. Within minutes, all the players on both teams 
ran out and were fighting with one another. So now it went from two people to both teams. Now you and I, as a reminder, I confess, we, we are still primitive. I've been to baseball games. Oh, to see those dugouts clear. Everybody's rushing on to the, you know, after sitting there for 45 minutes and nothing happening in a baseball game, you know, you're, you're ready to see a show. And they're all rushing out. They're all righteous, by the way. And uh, in their anger, it's always the other team that's at fault. And they're going to defend their teammate. So both teams are going at it. Well, that's what happened there in the spring of 1894. These two guys were fighting. And as a result, both teams rushed the field and they all started punching at each other. Within moments, all the people in the stand, uh, stands erupted and they started fighting each other and had a boxing match or brawl in the stands. All of these players and all of these fans are going at it in this brawl. The warfare quickly spread and their conflict went from bad to worse. Someone set the stands and the entire ballpark on fire and the ballpark burned down. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other Boston buildings as well. So in total, 108 Boston buildings burned to the ground because two guys couldn't control their anger. That's a spewer. Maybe here's somebody who spews. You go to work, everybody's in a good mood till you get there. Within 10 minutes, you got them all riled up. Paul says, that's the old you, not the you, new you. Take that off and put on the new. 64% say that the world is becoming an angrier place. Almost a third of people, polled 32%, said that you have a close friend or a family member who has trouble controlling their anger. More than one in 10 say that they have trouble controlling their own anger. More than one in four people, 28%, say that they worry about how angry they sometimes feel. One in five people say they have ended a relationship or friendship because someone or with someone because of how they behaved when they were angry. If you're angry and you're a believer in Christ, you are responsible to take care of that anger. Next, he tells us this. So he says, and again, I love the practical uh, part of this. He says, tell the truth. Stop lying. Stop being so angry all the time. And just as simply as he can say, stop taking what isn't yours. Thou shalt not steal. We don't like that word, steal. But when you take something that doesn't belong to you, that's the word that's stealing. Verse 28, look there with me if you would. He says this. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. He doesn't just say don't steal. He says apparently <laughs> there in Ephesus, some of you have a little problem. You're stealing. Stop stealing. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Did you know, uh, and this surprised me a little bit, the number one most common crime in the U.S. It's not speeding. It is stealing. One out of 11 Americans are shoplifters. That's shocking. Again, we've got shoplifters here this morning. <laughs> I'd ask you to raise your hand, but you'd probably, you're probably the liars too, so you won't <laughs> admit it. The amount of stolen goods and the percentage of shoplifters grows each year. 
What's more, the percentage of shoplifters is growing worldwide. There are 400 million incidents in our country every year costing over $20 billion annually. Men are more likely to shoplift than women. Come on, guys. 25% of shoplifters are children. A quarter of them are children. 55, over half of shoplifters began shoplifting when they were teenagers. Nearly three quarters of shoplifters had said they, don't, they didn't plan to steal ahead of time. That is, you're in the store, you see something you like, it's an impulse, instead of an impulse buy, it's an impulse steal, and you just take it. 89% of children know other children who shoplift. That is, if your kid is not a shoplifter, they know kids that are. Shoplifters are caught once out of, on average, they're caught once out of every 48 times that they steal. Wow. And this really surprised me the most, I think. Professionals, people who make a living, earn a living shoplifting, they're pros, make up only 3% of shoplifters. Most people are not professionals. They just steal for the sake of stealing. There's no secret to this problem. If you have a tendency to take what doesn't belong to you, Paul would say, stop it. Stop stealing. Thou shalt not steal. Tell the truth. Watch your temper. Don't take what is not yours. And lastly, and I love this part, do something. Do something. Look in verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. And listen to this next clause. But must work. Doing something. Um, doing something. There's that word. Do something. Doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, here's where I think Paul is implying here. If you look at how he says it, he says, instead of stealing, you need to work and do something useful. Because if you don't work in the first century, there were no programs or anything. And if you're in a family and you're able to work and you don't work, that means other people in your family have to work extra hard to pay for not only their needs, but also your needs as well. Or there were people in their church, because the churches tended to share with one another. There were people who worked very hard, and there were apparently people in the church, professing Christians, who didn't do a thing. And so they depended upon the others to give to them for what they needed. Does that sound familiar to you? We have an unusual problem in the United States right now in our economy. I'm told that because of the pandemic, and I said the word, so what am I? A liar. There you go. <laughs> because of uh, the pandemic, people can make more money by simply not working. One report by ABC News, and that's a liberal news outlet, and yet even they said it this way, the economic stimulus measures, such as increased unemployment benefits, have been a controversial aspect of the U.S. response to the coronavirus pandemic from the beginning. Conservative politicians, such as Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, have frequently warned people may not re-enter the workforce if it's more financially lucrative to continue collecting unemployment benefits. In the eyes of a staffing agency manager and economics professor, those warnings are proving true in the Charleston area, for example. 
He says, if you're getting paid more now than you were at a part-time job, then why look for a job when you could get paid by the government, said Randall Blankard, who manages Reliant Hiring Solutions. He's having problem, a problem getting people to come in to, that are looking for jobs. They're not looking for jobs because they make more money just by collecting a, a pandemic check. Blankard is referring to the increased unemployment benefits people are receiving because of added federal help during the pandemic. The College of Charleston professor of economics, Frank Hefner, agrees that those factors are affecting the labor market. He says the best way for employers to reverse the trend is to offer more money. Well, listen to this. In the kingdom, Paul says you shouldn't be lazy unless somebody gives you more money. On the contrary, here's a better way to end the trend. Get up and go to work. If you're able to work, go to work. <laughs> Last week, of all the things I said, that got applause. Uh, <laughs> but that, and by the way, that's the Apostle Paul in me, but it's also my dad in me. I'll get to that in just a minute. Last week, Terry and I spent the weekend on a brief family vacation. As you know, our, our daughter, Gabrielle, uh, went to basic training this week. Uh, she left Monday. She flew out, we took her to the airport uh, for basic training in the Air Force, and that basic training is at Lackland Air Force Base there in San Antonio, and so uh, she, she took a flight, or they put her on a flight Monday, and so Monday night was her first night at Lackland Air Force Base. Now, I have mixed feelings about this as a parent. I'm happy for my daughter to move on with her life, but we sat over there alone this morning, my wife and I, because we have uh, one son that's running a camera right now, and the other son is too cool to be seen with us. <laughs> so, bless his heart. I, I, that's probably an old, that's probably an old term. Cool. I don't know what the word is now. Groovy. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So wherever you want, I don't blame you. But Gabrielle often sat with us, and now she's gone. She'll be gone for a total of a year. So that was Monday night, her first night there. Tuesday morning, if you saw the national news, there was a, an active shooter lockdown at that very Air Force base. Apparently a couple individuals outside the Air Force base were shooting towards some trainees, the news said, which would be my daughter, uh, inside the Air Force base, and then they ran off. Now nobody was hit, nobody was hurt, and I'm glad for that. And you know what happens when you go to basic training, the first thing they do, because a lot of them are 18 years old and never been away from mommy and daddy, and so they take their cell phones from them so they can't call home for weeks or for the first month or two. It's, it's, it, there's a separation that needs to take place in order to get them from boys and girls to men and women. So it surprised me a little bit when I got a call Tuesday evening from Gabrielle. They gave her her cell phone back because I'm assuming they got a whole lot of calls from worried moms and dads and she was allowed to call us that one time and she's doing just fine. I, I say it to say, we wanted to spend the weekend with her and the kids together as a family one last time before she shipped out. We didn't have time, by the way, to go to San Antonio. We actually went to Dallas last week. I know Chris told you San Antonio, which was what? A lie, there you go, lying staff. <laughs> it 
And so we went to Dallas, but uh, so we work, woke up uh, Sunday morning in Dallas, and I said to the family, you know, let's go to First Baptist Dallas. My aunt and uncle were here just a few weeks back. My uncle's 92 years old, and he's a faithful member there at First Baptist Dallas, so we wanted to go to church with him. And so while we were there, uh, Dr. Robert Jeffries was preaching on another subject, but as a part of that message, he actually mentioned this very topic about working. Uh, he was concerned about Christians who are unwilling to work or, and specifically he said, and you can watch it on, on television or online, he was concerned about lazy Christians who go to work but then don't do any work. Reminds me of high school. I worked at Gibson's Discount Center, and I say work loosely. We, we worked when the boss was coming down the aisles. Now, our boss was only human. He could only get there so fast. And we had lookouts <laughs> for when the boss came. And so when he came down the aisle, somebody would cue us, and we would start working frantically. And then when he walked off, then we'd just start doing nothing again. Those are the kinds of individuals that Robert Jeffries was talking about. I know you don't know anybody like that, certainly, but um, he was talking about those individuals and his concern was, he said, if you're an employee at a company and you're a do-nothing employee, that's what he called them, and you don't, you don't work there, you're, you're not honest in how much you work for your employer, he said, do me a favor, don't tell them about Jesus. Don't invite them to our church, he said. He said, don't, don't, don't use the word Jesus. Tell them you're a Muslim <laughs> or, a, or a, what was the other, a Mormon. Because he didn't want Christ to be uh, disrespected in that way. You know, I understand what he's saying. Because what you and I do reflects on our Savior. In fact, in another letter to another church, Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you may be at work this week and you say, Pastor Lee, you don't understand my boss or my company. They are no good. They have passed me up several times for a promotion. They have promised me a raise and they didn't deliver on their raise. They are no good. And I'm just not going to do anything here because of this and that, because of this person or that person. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do the least I can. But what does Paul say? You don't work for that employer. You're working for Jesus Christ. He says it directly. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. So whatever you do, whether you think your company deserves it, and they may not, whether you think your boss deserves it, he or she may not, you work anyway because ultimately as Christians, we represent Christ and we work for him. So Paul would say, do something. My father wasn't famous. And I know next week is Father's Day, but I have to mention this. When we look at this passage, my dad never made much money. He was a barber. He wasn't powerful. He was not prestigious. But as a believer in Christ, he was honest. He told the truth. He never took what did not belong to him. And he worked hard all of his life. Raised five kids was faithful to his wife, fought for his country, 
and he loved his Savior. It's a new day. And the Apostle Paul is telling you and I to put on a new outfit, a new self for that new day. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this passage, and I pray that you would forgive us for those times where we have allowed ourselves to become dishonest and not tell the truth. Forgive us for those times where we've been lazy and we have not worked the way that we should and we did not represent you well. Forgive us for those times where we are too angry for too many reasons, too much of the time, and for too long. Father, we ask and pray today that you would help us to be men and women of integrity as your ambassadors. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? Maybe it's one of those particular characteristics where you struggle the most. People don't know you as trustworthy because you often stretch the truth or don't tell the truth. You're not a very hard worker. Or you could do better. Your boss doesn't see you as a person of integrity because they always have to stay on you. And you want to say, God, today I realize I'm working for Jesus, not for my company. Help me to have integrity and work hard. Maybe you're struggling today with your anger. And you know, you bottle it up or you spew it out. But either way, it's a cancer in your life. And you need to give it to your God today. And maybe you need to come in, get on your knees before God and say, God, I give this challenge to you today. It may be right where you are. I challenge you to do that. You just say, God, I give this to you. I struggle telling the truth. I struggle with anger. I struggle in these areas. Help me put on the new self. It's been a long year and a half, but today is a new day. I believe that God wants to use this great church in the days to come. This year, four great things in Azel. And that begins by us being honest with our God. Will you put on the new self today? Maybe you're not a believer in Christ. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Listen to me. God will give you a new heart and a new life. He will make you a new person. It doesn't mean things are going to be easy. But it does mean that God desires to transform you. And he can do that if you'll surrender to him in Christ. Maybe you just want to come out and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you want to start working hard in God's kingdom in this place, in this church. You want to come up and say, Pastor, it's time for me to join. I want to make my commitment here. I want to work hard here for God's glory. Or you just want to come up and pray. If God is leading right now, this invitation is for you. No one's looking around. Would you stand? And as we pray and as we stand right now, you come.